Hey, everyone, and welcome to part two of our chat with Matthew Brennan, co-founder and managing director of China Channel based in Beijing and author of a new amazing book called Attention Factory, the story of TikTok and China's ByteDance. In this second half, we dive right into discussing something called the middle platform. It's basically a central nervous system that allows ByteDance's apps to all plug into and share resources. We talk about how TikTok started out as a cringe app, the difference between it and Snapchat, why it made sense for Oracle to acquire TikTok, even though they didn't, and some dialogue around TikTok becoming a political posturing pawn and how that will net out as the Biden administration takes office. Enjoy. In the North American market, when Musical.ly was acquired and integrated into TikTok, TikTok entered the public consciousness as a cringe app. That was the early positioning of TikTok. Even just two years ago, if you can go back online and you can search on YouTube and TikTok and around that period, all of the videos are TikTok cringe. People felt back then that TikTok was this app for social outcasts and weirdos. Home to over 4 billion people, the Asia-Pacific region boasts one of the most powerful consumer markets on the planet. Not only is it home to half the world's under 30 population, but it's also home to more than half the world's internet users. It's a market no globally-minded brand should ignore, but entering markets like China is no easy task. Just ask the likes of Microsoft, Google, Uber, and Facebook. Times are changing, and with the right partners, doors are slowly opening as more and more companies find success expanding into the markets of the Middle Kingdom. I myself spent eight years in China, mostly as a venture capitalist, helping early-stage tech companies enter the Asia-Pacific market successfully. This show is dedicated to uncovering and examining successful China entry and growth strategies by interviewing the people behind those success stories. My name is Todd Embley, and welcome to The Negotiation, brought to you by WPIC Marketing and Technologies. You wrote about something called the middle platform. Okay. You said it's been well documented in Chinese. I found this actually quite fascinating, but without giving away what I want you to talk about, tell us a little bit about what is the middle platform that you're referring to and how does it work within that, that kind of org structure within, within ByteDance? Yeah, sure. I mean, the middle platform, there's been so much written about it in Chinese. Um, I think it's really been, it's, it's a fascinating topic. So it's not unique to ByteDance. However, they have really embraced it. I think they are one of the best case studies. Um, and you can look at it as somewhat different from the traditional Tencent approach, again, which has been quite a bit written about um, over the years. So the a traditional Tencent approach, which was also quite popular, still is quite popular in the, in the China market, uh, is one that's called sort of horse racing. Uh, so the idea is that Pony Ma and, uh, and, and Martin Lau, the, the, the leaders of Tencent, worked out you know, a, long, a long while ago that their empire was sprawling and they really just didn't have time and attention to attend to every little product. So the idea was is that if they want to move into a field, uh, they could set up maybe three teams or four teams and have those teams all attack the same opportunity go for the same market, but they're actually competing with one another. And so this in this way, it sort of instills the entrepreneurial drive and spirit into the company. Even though they're so big and so successful, uh, these teams are still uh, at the the front at the front line level, they're under a lot of stress and they're very much working like a startup. 
So this actually led to a sort of culture in Tencent where it was well documented that a lot of it, working with one Tencent division and another Tencent division was like working essentially with two separate companies. And actually the competition internally in Tencent in, in many areas was more fierce than external. Uh, and I experienced that myself firsthand. And I can tell you it's definitely true. Uh, I think the company's changed a lot, though, in, in the last few years, and they rec rec recognize that that's a problem. Now, the middle platform is totally different approach, and it actually comes from Sweden. The original inspiration was uh, uh, Supercell, the gaming company, which actually is, is Tencent-owned. Uh, but uh, according to the uh, stories I've read in China, it was actually Jack Ma who went to visit uh, them in Sweden. Finland, rather, and got inspired by their organizational system, which is quite unique. And uh, basically, he went back to Alibaba and said, okay, we need to reorganize everything, and we've got to create this middle platform. This is what we're going to do. Now, the idea with the middle platform is, is that there's all these shared resources in the company, essentially. All of the heavy lifting is done centrally. And by that, I mean, if we talk about ByteDance, right, we've just been talking about the algorithms and the recommendation engine. Well, in ByteDance, all of the heavy, heavy lifting there, all of the real high-tech stuff um, is done centrally by a team uh, that doesn't work for TikTok, it doesn't work for Douyin, it doesn't work for Sigua or any of their other apps. Um, it's just a central service, which all of the apps that ByteDance has can plug into. And so each app does have its own team still. Uh, it has, its, especially for content operations and things like that. And, and they'll have its own engineers as well. But when it comes to anything that's, you know, quite, uh, requires a lot, a lot of people to do, there's probably they're plugging into a central service, whether that's search, whether that's recommendation or content classification or AR, VR filters, et cetera. They will simply find a way to work with the, uh, you know, plug in with the APIs for that, for that team internally. And so in this way, uh, Actually, all the resources are shared, and it means that there's no overlap between these teams. It also means that, for example, the, the, the I think the best example of this is actually uh, we, we give in the book is something like the universal uh, interest graph. So actually in China, you know, I can use uh, app A from ByteDance, log in with a profile on that app, and it will enrich my user profile. So I'm tagged with lots of things like, say, for example, Dog Lover or Taylor Swift fan, etc. When I go into a new ByteDance app, a completely new property with a, with a fresh team, quite a small, you know, early stage, uh, you know, maybe in a cold start period, really haven't, doesn't have much users, but they are accessing the same central services uh, from, uh, from the ByteDance middle platform. When I log in with my ID on there, they, all of that information around my, from my, that's been tagged on my user profile can be leveraged by the new app. And so they can completely personalize the content they show me straight away because they're leveraging the central platform. Uh, in the example I gave with the Saimar with the uh, horse racing from Tencent, you know, that wouldn't be possible at all because these these uh, these teams are competing with each other, so they won't share data. So there's a pretty fundamental difference there. And I think actually this is, uh, you know, like I say, it's been very successful in China. I'm surprised that there hasn't been that much talk of it in English. I haven't seen that much. 
Um, but it is, it is a, you know, a, a fairly technical aspect, uh, I guess you could say, in terms of like it's about organizational structure and how you, how you set up your, your company. But um, yeah, it's been, it's been very successful for ByteDance without doubt. Other than, you know, organizational innovation, are there some other innovations or innovative ways that, that ByteDance does whatever they do that they have, uh, you know, launched with or uncovered since launching? And of those innovations, have you seen anyone copying or, or kind of falling in line or, or taking the same path um, as far as other companies that might be doing it as well? I mean, you could talk about Lark, which is their enterprise productivity uh, application, which you could say is somewhat similar to Slack. Uh, but the idea was that internally they became, they were looking for some sort of like Slack or Google Docs, you know, all these different tools so that people in the company can communicate. And they actually got very frustrated with the options available and they felt none of them were actually very suitable for them. So what they did is just built their own, their own uh, tools. And then they actually launched that as a product. And actually, it's, it's, Lark is actually pretty good. Um, it has its small place in the market. So that's a sort of innovation there that they've actually, uh, you know, built their own internal tools and then actually launched it as a, uh, as a, as a product that anybody can use. Um, I think they're actually doing the similar thing with their recommendation algorithms in that they, um, recommendation as a service is something they've started offering in China. Another way you could go with that is, uh, you know, what they did with growth hacking, I think is kind of interesting and arguably could, you could say innovative. Um, but certainly it's, it's a big part of why they're successful. Um, we've got some really great case studies, uh, that we dug out in the book. Um, in China, the, you know, we talk about the early days about how, how they grew so fast which was through app pre-installs, the app pre-install market, which most people don't know about, but was actually you know, um, a, a very successful way in which they were able to scale into hundreds of millions of users uh, through having their app, through paying uh, distributors in China to pre-install their apps on phones after they left the factory, but before they reached the consumer. So a kind of gray market, um, <clears throat> which is... Uh, in a, <coughs> sorry, I'm coughing up, <coughs> which is um, not illegal, but certainly in a gray area. Uh, but with TikTok, you know, there's a, probably a more relatable example, which was if you in 2018, uh, I, many of our listeners might know, if you went onto Facebook or Snapchat or YouTube, uh, pretty much there was adverts for TikTok everywhere. They flooded the world with adverts uh, around that time. And they got, that was around the time they, they got $2 billion from SoftBank, right? Invested in them. And so they used that cash um, and basically gave that cash to Facebook, gave that cash to, to YouTube and uh, flooded the world with programmatic ads, which were very, very, very strange because TikTok ads didn't say anything about TikTok. Uh, they simply used content from the actual app itself. And it was kind of weird content. A lot of it was, uh, you know, goofy videos, um, things, you know, cosplayers or just people doing weird things. I don't know if you, I don't know if you saw any of these adverts. <laughs> I think I, I think I did. Back yeah. in the day, I, they don't use them anymore. Basically what was happening was their Beijing growth teams. 
had worked out that, okay, we have, due to the terms of service of TikTok, we can actually use people's content. Great. That gives us actually like millions and millions of videos to choose. Why don't we just A-B test them all and see which ones convert? And so they tested you know, thousands upon thousands of different videos on, on platforms like YouTube. They did go for a processor of vetting them. There was, you know, it wasn't totally automated. There was, you know, they checked them that there's no uh, violence or pornography in them, et cetera. But beyond that basic check, it was just pretty much optimizing for conversion. The teams in Beijing basically didn't understand what was in the videos. They didn't really care, to be honest. Um, it wasn't their job to care. They just cared about conversion rates. That's what their, uh, you know, their KPIs were all about. The unforeseen consequences of that was that the videos that converted best were all the really, really weird ones. The ones that were just way out there uh, of people doing crazy things um, or like people like furries or cosplayers uh, and all of these really stupid videos that eventually created a reputation for the platform of being for cringe. So in the North American market, when Musical.ly was acquired and integrated into TikTok, TikTok entered the public consciousness as a cringe app. That was the early positioning of TikTok. Even just two years ago, if you can go back online and you can search on YouTube and TikTok and for around that period, all of the videos are TikTok cringe. People felt back then that TikTok was this app for social outcasts and weirdos. And bullying of TikTok users online was quite common because the demographics on the app were totally different from where they are today. It's almost people forget this, but it was actually very, very recent that it was like this. And the perception widely of TikTok in 2018 was that Facebook wasn't looking at this app as a threat. Nobody was. People thought that the only threat that TikTok was was a threat to itself because the reputation of the platform was terrible. And it was because of the growth hacking, which was very successful in onboarding users, but it was ruining the reputation of the platform. And so actually the, the, the small American team at the time and the Beijing head office, they actually had some conflict internally there around the Beijing teams were like, hey, we're doing a great job. These ads are converting great. And the American team going, no, 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 we need to stop this. We're ruining our reputation. Um, and in the end, they did work it out. They actually had to stop those ads quite suddenly. And you can go back and, and uh, look at the numbers on that. Um, it was sort of... They, they went for a, a different strategy in the end, but uh, there was almost a period where it wasn't always obvious that TikTok would be so successful because they almost ruined it in the early days. Let's talk about Snapchat and TikTok for a second, because from the outside, they seem similar. It almost seems like they would be in competition, that one might cannibalize the other. Can you break down a little bit about the dichotomy and the differences between TikTok and Snapchat? Snapchat is is a, is a fundamentally different use case in terms of why do people open Snapchat? It's actually really important to understand the sort of psychology behind these applications. Uh, it says so much about them and, and where what the opportunity is in terms of business as well, because people open Snapchat to communicate with friends. At its core, it's a messaging app. It's actually similar to WeChat in that respect. And messaging really is the foundation of it. TikTok is about entertainment. Uh, people go there. They why do you why do you tap on that icon? It's because you have some time that you need to fill, 
And it doesn't necessarily all need to be entertainment. Actually, today, a lot of the content on TikTok and, and Douyin is educational. And it, it can be a great platform to learn things on as well. There's a whole drive from the company for something called EduTalk, uh, which was actually quite big in India before they, they uh, obviously got um, had troubles in that market. But EduTalk is the idea. And it goes back actually to the very core original concept of Musical.ly, which was uh, the you know, way back who were pioneers in this area uh, around ed, you know, short form educational videos. Uh, personally, I learned a lot of Chinese through Douyin, the Chinese version. I found it very, very useful. In 2018, I, I really improved my, uh, my language skills, got them up to a high level through just watching so many videos. And, and some of those included, you know, outright educational content. So, um, it doesn't necessarily all need to be entertainment, but definitely there's two very, very different reasons why you use Snapchat and why you use TikTok. Would you say that there are other companies in China that most people haven't heard of that, I mean, going the way that ByteDance has in becoming uh, somebody who was disregarded to somebody who is now um, the focus of a lot of other media and attention from other companies, even, you know, the fact of, of being able to go global, who are the ones that we need to know about and why should we know about them? Yeah, what well, the... The other short video platform, Kwaisho, mm. is, is very interesting. And I think they're about to go public pretty soon uh, in Hong Kong. Um, Kwaisho is really interesting because, at least in the North American market and Europe, um, there's no real direct equivalent of Kwaisho. And yet it has, in China, the positioning of being a direct competitor with, uh, with, with Douyin. Uh, so... Likey if is, is actually the closest equivalent in international markets, and that Likey does very well, in, especially in, in Asian markets. Uh, <clears throat> so that's that's the closest equivalent. But um, I think certainly there's a lot to be analysed around Kwaisho, and they're more sort of a social network that's uh, short video based, mm -hmm. and so. The user behavior we see on Kwaisho is quite different to Douyin, whereas Douyin is more of an entertainment platform. Uh, we've got more sort of social behavior. People use it to connect with those around them uh, in their local city. And there's a lot more um, live stream that happens on the platform with gifting. There's a, there's a lot of gifting behavior we see. And so their business models are actually a bit different in terms of Bike dance with Douyin and TikTok is, is more advertisement driven, whereas Kwaisho is more about uh, live stream e-commerce and gifting. That's, that's an interesting one. I think Pindoro is interesting. Uh, I don't know if we can say they're small anymore, but certainly they're still, uh, I think, in the West, uh, relatively misunderstood. And uh, there's still a lot uh, for them to Still a lot of room for them to grow, I think. And Billy Billy, I think, is also pretty interesting. Um, but we've we sort of reached a, a level where things are, are maturing online in, in China. I think there's been this sort of very, very rapid stage of growth, um, certainly since I think you could say from mobile payments coming out, uh, which was 2013 to 2014 uh, through till about a year ago. So this five-year window where it was just crazy, <laughs> absolutely crazy. And uh, now we've, you know, it's definitely matured a lot. 
Uh, I think this year, you know, we're seeing less activity in terms of investment, but also um, that it's more sort of consolidation of the platforms right now. Uh, we're, you know, there's still a lot to come from China, absolutely. Uh, but I think compared to previous years, you know, we've, we're at a stage where it's more the sort of the, the already semi-established giants, as we could say, are, um, you know, expanding their services. Uh, we do see some consolidation in terms of like the uh, live stream platforms around gaming. There's been a big one there. There was talk of Aichi and Tencent video merging as well. I think we'll see a few more of those uh, over time. Why do you think Oracle thought to get into the consumer space via a purchase of you know a large amount of TikTok? How do you put together how that partnership might have made sense? That does make sense. Um, and Walmart makes sense as well. You're, it makes sense for ByteDance predominantly. ByteDance, <laughs> you know, you're, <laughs> and well, that, you laugh, but like it needs to, they're the ones who own it, right? So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. they need to have it make sense for them first. It, it, right. It needs to make sense for them first before, before, uh, Donald Trump or anyone because they, that, you know, they, they ultimately, you know, they can shut it down if they if they really wanted to. Obviously, that would be a terrible thing for them to do. But it's they're not going to sell it to Facebook, right? For example, that would be the lot. You know, they they would rather shut it down than sell it to Facebook. You're not going to. Uh, Facebook is a direct competitor. Uh, you do not want to. Uh, that's the Chinese way. You know, in the same way that Tencent would not sell a critical asset to Alibaba. There's there's no way they would do that, uh, and vice versa. Uh, this is your um, direct competitor, and the same for Google. So these these familiar names. If it's a company that ByteDance feels is going to be a competitor to going to be a competitor to t tomorrow, or is already a competitor today, it's very unlikely that they're not going to want to sell to that company. And so straight away, all of the uh, usual suspects you can write them off. Uh, so you're left with Oracle, which is a company. Which is not a direct competitor. You know, they do not have a strong presence on mobile internet services. However, Oracle does have a lot of very good technical talent, right? They are actually capable of running TikTok, right? Because you can't sell to, uh, you know, you can't sell this to Goldman Sachs and have Goldman Sachs run it because Goldman Sachs doesn't have enough engineers to run it. They don't have the technical talent. They don't have the infrastructure, the server infrastructure to run this, right? Uh, you actually need to have a lot of you know, highly capable engineers in order to actually operate <laughs> something like TikTok. So you're, you're in this situation where, like Dance, you need a company that can actually run TikTok or, or, or at least run part of it uh, competently and safely, uh, but is not a competitor with you. So that short list of companies is 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 not that long, uh, but Oracle does fit in there. And then for Walmart, you're in a situation where the one of the big potentials for TikTok is e-commerce. Uh, we see in China that it's been a very successful e-commerce platform, uh, both in terms of short video e-commerce and then live stream e-commerce. And absolutely, this is one of the big opportunities for TikTok in the next two years. Uh, and already, I think you're seeing Facebook with its other properties is has sort of sped up the the roadmap and implication of e-commerce because they know this is coming. ByteDance has had pretty big impact, I think, on, on the social media scene globally. 
um, because they've been so successful with, with things like this in, in China. And it's quite clear that this will be coming to markets like North America. But one of the problems with that is fulfillment, is logistics, right? In China, logistics is so developed. It's so, you know, you can ship a product, you can ship on, on Pindolo, I can buy something for, you know, $2 and have it shipped from Guangzhou up to Beijing for less than a dollar. It's crazy. It's unbelievably cheap and, and it's reliable and it's fast relatively for such a long distance. Uh, and, you know, there's pickup points everywhere. And it does help that, you know, Chinese cities are very, you know, the population density is very high and people live in apartments. Uh, and so with, with distributing packages, that's, that's very, very, uh, you know, it's, it's simple in that compared to America where everyone lives in sort of suburbs mostly uh, and distances tend to be quite long. Going back to this, you know, that's why, you know, you need a partner like Walmart, right? Walmart obviously does, could, could play a role, uh, in facilitating that, that logistics and that infrastructure, given the number of stores they have across Europe and, and, and North America. Do you think that the Biden administration, when when a new administration, Biden or other, comes in, do you think this is going to play out favorably and, and our relations going to improve and, and get a lot better and behoove ByteDance and TikTok and everything that they are? Well, if 2020 has taught us anything, it's that <laughs> we don't know what to expect. Um, yeah, I mean... Geez, it's been it's been a bit of a roller coaster year uh, for so many things. So when we're talking about China-U.S. relations, there's so much risk there. I mean, it's really, I think Biden definitely is moving in the right direction in terms of risk uh, that we have someone more level-headed in in leading the the White House. Um, so that's that should be a positive. Uh, however, you know, the relations between the two countries have really deteriorated. Let's be serious. And so I think ByteDance has done an excellent job so far. I think they've stayed committed to their direction. And it seems that they may be able to find a way through this. But they're really stuck in the middle of these political headwinds, uh, which are kind of out of their control to a large degree. And, uh, yeah, you're, you're right to say, like, this is essentially a, you know, we're, we're sort of trying to read the tea leaves of the political headwinds here. And yeah, I, I, I would say that I've, I have no special insight. My guess is as good as yours with, with regard to that, you know. I hope it works out for them. I really do. I think it's a company that's, uh, does have, is a principled company and, uh, uh, it would be a real shame. Uh, for them to, you know, lose TikTok and be restricted only to China. I think that would be a shame for them. I think it'd be a shame for US-China relationships as well, because um, by them being an American market, <clears throat> you know, it does uh, just, just by having that sort of competition there, I think it's good for, I think it's good for businesses, as I alluded before, sorry, <clears throat> as I alluded to before, there is a duopoly in advertisement. And so, it is nice that there's, they can introduce some competition there. Uh, and also by being in the market, I think it does shake things up a bit with, with Facebook and, and Google and, and the Silicon Valley giants. And I think they're already learning from, from ByteDance. Uh, I think they've adapted the way that they, they do things given this new, this new competitor. 
And you can quite clearly see that the Silicon Valley giants, especially Facebook, are becoming more like Chinese companies and vice versa. So uh, that's, that's you know, competition's a good thing, I believe. So, yeah. yeah. Do you believe that ByteDance or other Chinese companies might be a little gun shy to bring other apps to develop uh, more localized apps for, you know, let's even just say just for the U.S. in the future? Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. When you speak to entrepreneurs and VCs on the ground in China, nobody really wants to invest in America anymore. It's too risky. Uh, they don't want to launch apps there. Uh, they don't. They just see it as a, as a very high risk market. I think after what happened in India, uh, a lot of people got burned there. Uh, I saw some, <clears throat> some, had one or two friends who had invested early in companies that were doing extremely well in that market and then saw their, you know, their investments go to zero overnight. So I think that had a really big impact on people's perception around doing business internationally. I think Southeast Asia seems to be still open and there's optimism around doing things and, and bringing new internet services into those markets. Uh, I would say also, you know, for other developing markets around the world that might be more open, but Western markets, I think there's a, there's a lot of skepticism now around doing anything in, in, in those places. The, Ant Financial IPO, right? You talked about your, you know, you you think maybe good chance that that ByteDance looks to go IPO next year. Does what happened to Ant Financial maybe deter or inform or delay anything that ByteDance might have been thinking about doing? Or do you feel that that was actually a very specialized incident just due to Jack's comments? I think Jack's comments came after the fact. So people have it a little bit mixed up. I'm pretty sure that he made those comments already knowing this was coming. Having said that, the speech was, uh, was was very important and I think quite quite special and did have an impact in its own its own way. With ByteDance, the there's a lot of uncertainty around the company right now. They they do need to solve this TikTok issue, right? And valuing those assets is uh, you know we can't right now really. It's uh, they could be could be a lot. They could be much less, uh, depending on how things go. And financial is, well, you know, it's in a quite a different area. I think they're they're, they're offering fintech services. Basically, it's a you know, it's a it's a loan business uh, with Huawei and Jiebei being where the big growth is, and then it's a wealth management investment business as well uh, with uh, Eurobal. So th these are the sort of cash cows that they have. Um, and, and I think the Chinese government was in some ways right to uh, – there is a lot of risk there. I have, I've got my own personal take on this in terms of I've seen on the ground how many young people in China are in debt through their loaning loan so for people who don't know Jibay and Huawei are the sort of local products that Ant Financial has that where they loan money to people in order if you buy something on one of their e-commerce platforms uh, you can pay in installments essentially and it's very very popular and young people in China use it a lot and 
I'm, I'm, I'm actually quite shocked about how in debt some young people are in China because the China I knew when I came, nobody would ever buy in credit. It was actually quite shocking to me when I came to China and realized that nobody had credit cards and everybody thought that buying something on credit was a really stupid idea. Why would you spend money you don't have? And yet the younger generation in China is almost the opposite. Uh, they've been marketed to so heavily by by Alibaba, basically, because this market is just and financial is, is basically is the market for this thing. And they dominate it so heavily that, you know, it's it's really uh, I think it is a problem and it does need to be reined in. But that's just my personal take. I mean, like it's uh, there's, uh, there's so many other things going on with, with this as well uh, that, that you could talk about. But back to your original question for ByteDance, they need to IPO, right? <laughs> it's been so long. Uh, I think they do want to. I think. We'll, we'll have to see. I, I, I think there's so many things going on. It will probably be in Hong Kong, and it'll probably be next year, and it'll probably be the China assets, which is the you know the Douyin business and the and the Totiao business predominantly. And I think if I had to place my money somewhere, I think TikTok will be broken out into a separate company, and and that may or may not go public. And if it does, it will probably be on the Nasdaq or, or, or the New York uh, stock exchange. Yeah, I mean that's that was kind of. You know, it's been Alibaba's go public mo um, ever since, and I, and I think for anybody looking to invest, it's always worth reading into the go public manuscript or the transcript of of exactly what is involved and what um, is actually uh, you know what tech and IP is involved in going public and what isn't. Um, I think that'll be very important for everybody, especially when a company like ByteDance seems to be getting to the point of being very, very broad, similar a la Alibaba. No? Yeah. I mean, it's a conglomerate. It's a corporate leviathan. It's like all of these Chinese internet service companies, they have the sort of octopus model, right? Where it's just all these different tentacles, all these different business lines, and it just gets completely unmanageable. I've been, you know, following Tencent for so many years and I can tell you, you know, they, they've got so many apps, so many internet services, even the CEO can't keep track of them. Uh, there's, there's a, a, a quote from the, <laughs> where he's like, one, I think a journalist asked him, you know, how many, how many products do you actually have? And he's like, actually, I don't know. Like, they, <laughs> it's constantly changing. Um, and this is how these companies operate. You know, they, uh, they, they are paranoid. They are worried about being disrupted. And one of the best ways to avoid being disrupted is to be in every market and compete because the internet services, arena is volatile in terms of short video is a fantastic example here. Nobody expected Douyin to be so important. Nobody expected TikTok to be so important. If you roll the clock back just three years, this was a TikTok itself. The original version in China was a nothing. It was a blip on the landscape. Nobody cared about it. Even internally at ByteDance, uh, the early, you know, the first half year, this app had a very long, cold start. The CEO stopped attending the, the weekly meetings because it was just going nowhere. And this could have easily just become another app that fades away into the internet obscurity, the graveyard where thousands of apps have been before. But no, something happened. Actually, we worked out that the musically experience of short video combined with the recommendation technology that they already had created this powerhouse that nobody really foresaw would happen. So 
in the internet, you know, these things can come along every, you know, five years, let's say, and disrupt so much. So there, there is a case to be made that you do need to have services in the market. Tencent caught unaware. Unfortunately, the timing with, with them was really, really bad uh, with, with Douyin rising. They actually shut down the app that they had as a competitor in this space uh, just at the time. Uh, as as this new one was rising up. With, with ByteDance, they're just doing what every Chinese company, once they get to this scale, tries to do, which is really, really diversify and go into all these different different markets uh, to a far greater extent than most Silicon Valley companies. I think you could say Google is kind of similar, actually. Google has a lot of services. It, it's a very Chinese thing to do. Matthew Brennan, thank you very, very much for all your time and all your uh, conversation and insights and knowledge, my friend. Thank you very, very much. Tell everybody where to find your book, where to find your podcast, where to get in touch regards with, uh, with regards to China Channel and uh, potentially where they can find you and follow you. Yeah, sure. Well, the book's on Amazon. Uh, you can get it on paperback. Uh, you can get it on Kindle. Uh, we should have an audio version out next year. You can find me online on Twitter. And you can find me on LinkedIn. We put content on those two platforms. And uh, the podcast is China Tech Talk uh, with, with TechNode. So, but yeah, those will be the places, I think. Uh, ChinaChannel.co as well is uh, for China Channel. Yeah, and I think even just hitting up, uh, you know, finding Matthew Brennan on LinkedIn for those of you on this side of the ocean who actually still use LinkedIn a lot. That's a great place. I appreciate that you put up the PDFs of your reports, especially breaking down a lot of, you know, the ByteDance and TikTok stuff that alludes to quite a bit of what's in your book as well. So, Matthew, again, thank you very, very much for coming on the show today. Thanks, A pleasure. Growing a company is hard. Doing it in a foreign market? Exponentially so. The best piece of advice I can give you is not to do it alone. When you start looking across the pond for further expansion possibilities, and I sincerely hope that you do, make sure you choose the right partners to do it with. My good friends at WPIC Marketing and Technologies have almost 20 years of experience helping brands just like yours enter China. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Negotiation. And if you're interested in being a guest or want to connect with me or any of our team, please reach out to us at podcast at WPIC.co. And be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Zai Jian.